Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Living Off the Land, episode 269, coming at you. My name is Dan, here with Steven, and uh, it's Tuesday night. It is, and what episode number did you say it was? 269. Excellent. Yes, we have an excellent show for you coming up tonight. I've got a really fun and kind of coolsy segment for uh, B-Can tonight, but before we get there, let's talk about the beer of the week. Dan, take it away. All right, so uh, I'm actually not drinking the beer of the week. I'm drinking a beer that we've had uh, a few weeks ago. That's because um, the beer of the week this week is not sold in cans or bottles or distributed anymore. Hmm. Uh, it is a pub exclusive from the fine folks over at Great Lakes Brewing Company, and I had it on Saturday at their 35th anniversary party. And it is quite possibly my favorite beer of all time. And they only brewed it one time, one other time. <coughs> and I'm always sad of that fact. I always ask for it when I go there, and uh, they always say it's not coming back. It's not coming back. Um, and then they surprised us. And they posted on Instagram for their 35th anniversary party that uh, their Grandes Lagos Lager will be making an appearance at the pub uh, this past weekend. And they only made a select uh, batch, so I don't know if that's run out yet. You might be able to go to Great Lakes uh, during this week or even this weekend and get some. Uh, it is. It will be available until it's gone, so... Uh, Grandes Lagos is a pub exclusive. It's a lager. Colorful hibiscus flowers bloom against a picturesque malt backdrop in this refreshing cerveza from the, from south of the border of Canada, that is. Uh, the flavor is a breezy getaway accented by beams of golden malt and a tart pink-tinged hibiscus sunset. Uh, this, bear, this beer, according to Great Lakes, pairs well with shellfish. Interesting. Uh, fruit desserts and spring break. So there you go. Uh, it is not anywhere close to spring break. So, um, but that's just this is this is coming straight from uh, from their website. And let's see, Grandes Lagos gets a score of eighty three on Beer Advocates, five point four percent ABV. Um, and let's see. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Um. So yeah, I mean this this is uh this is an OG uh LOTL type beer. We've had this before uh, when it first came out uh, on the show. This is a favorite of mine and former co-host Jordan Gonzalez. Shout out Jordo. Um, and it's just a great, 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 great beer. Just a great beer. Um, it gets an 8.6 rating for me. 8.6? Yeah. Woo! It is one of my favorite beers. So uh, if you are looking to try a great new beer, uh, like I said, I'm not sure if they still have it. They only made a specific amount, um, and when it's out, it's out. So uh, I would suggest if you're looking for a great new beer to try, uh, head up to Great Lakes and see if they've got any uh, – Grandes Lagos left. 
Um, for those who are wondering what I'm actually drinking, it is another Great Lakes beer, something we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I had uh, had a couple left over. Uh, their Vivacious Double IPA. Had this uh, when you were in Seattle City. Ryan was on the podcast with me, mm. so we drank that. We drank Vibacious there. So, uh, 8.6 on Grande Lagos from Great Lakes Brewing Company, and that is Beer of the Week. 8.6 is like the inverse of your most common rating, I think, which is 6.8. Seems like you've rated a lot of beers 6.8. Now, this one gets an 8.6. Mm-hmm. That is highly noteworthy. That's spectacular to me. You know, so, you know, you talked about uh, beers when I was <coughs> out. Also, when I was out, I couldn't help but notice that we were in the heart of fair season and the Cuyahoga County Fair was going on at the Cuyahoga County Fair but I'll tell you what we are still in very much in the heart of fair season and on this uh, segment of Pecan I wanted to pretty much go over the uh, we're going to take a little run around the fairgrounds around our region Uh, these are going on either this week next week or the week of Labor Day across our um immediate area here in northeast ohio going on this week you have two in our local area one is the portage county fair which is in randolph and the lorraine county fair which is in wellington i'm actually gonna be heading down there on uh friday night uh scarlet Aran and i are gonna uh take the little route down down route 10 and route 58 to wellington <coughs> uh, i've actually never been to this fair before so i'm actually kind of interested uh, a couple weeks ago was the the local um, sort of festival, the North Ritual Corn Festival. And uh, that ended up getting washed out like the first two days of Friday and Saturday night from my understanding. Hmm. Uh, apparently Friday night there was a storm that was bad enough to force a tornado warning and people were taking shelter inside the city hall and the library and the police station. So, oh, jeez. Yeah, that was that was pretty significant. So hopefully that doesn't happen to any anywhere uh, around here this, uh, this week or next. Uh, as you come out of this week um, – as you go into the week of the 27th, the Stark County Fair down in Canton is taking place August 29th through September 4th. You've got the uh, the Geauga County Fair out in Burton. That's uh, August 31st to September 4th. And then as you get into Labor Day week, you have uh, the Wayne County Fair, which is in Worcester. Uh, so actually, that's the week after Labor Day, September 9th through the 14th. So most of the other counties in our in our immediate vicinity, other than Ashland County, have already had theirs. Uh, Cuyahoga, obviously. Medina, obviously, uh, has had theirs as well. But uh, I wanted to kind of tap this off by going through a bit of – we haven't done any lists in a while. So I just wanted to I, – I looked on this website called therecipe.com, which I've never been on therecipe.com before tonight, so I have no idea what these people are like. Uh, these are, according to them, the top 10 foods you can find at the fair, right, mm. in their opinion. So Corn dogs. Oh, you might be, might be spoiling it here. Uh, <laughs> at number 10, they have cheese curds. Mm-hmm. I've never had a cheese curd before, oddly enough. I go to Culver's all the time. I don't know why I've ordered their cheese curds. Big, uh, big, big in Wisconsin. Absolutely. Uh, number nine is cotton candy. Eh. I think the last time I had cotton candy. Maybe the last time there was a circus. That was like 2016. So, I don't know. It's been a long time. Uh, number eight had plenty of this uh, two Sundays ago at the Corn Festival. Corn on the cob. Mm. That's always a mainstay. Uh, number seven, fried pickles. 
Fried pickles are getting huge. I'm not a pickle guy, but that is fascinating. Oh, yeah? Could have fooled me. Like, you could fry a cucumber. I'd eat that for sure, but I don't know about pickles. Wait, what? Yeah. You know, the little cucumber tempura? Like, I've I've had that. I've never heard of fried cucumber in my life. Hmm. Maybe I got to do it one day. I'll bring it in. We can have a rating for it. I don't know. Uh, number six. It's a cucumber. It's not going to taste like anything. Uh, number six, shaved ice, which is basically what, like, it's basically a, a snow cone. Yeah. Uh, definitely a good thing on a hot day. Uh, number five, the aforementioned one for you, Dan, corn dogs. Corn dog. How is that? Not, how is that five? I'm not corn dog guy, but yeah, that seems like a pretty common one Love when you go good, to fairs. Love a good corn dog. Uh, number four, turkey legs. What? Turkey legs. Yeah, so apparently they're they're like chicken legs, but they're bigger. And uh, apparently if you eat two of them at the same time, then you want to take a nap. So. Well, yeah, I've had Thanksgiving dinner before. I don't think I've ever seen them at a at a carnival before or whatever. Hmm. Or at the fair. Well, they've got it ranked number four. They said... There's something heavenly about enjoying, enjoying a giant turkey leg. Depending on the vendor, sometimes it's fried or smoked and could be beautifully browned and juicy on the inside. Kind of like Thanksgiving. Uh, number three. My daughter had an entire bag of this over the course of like a day and a half after coming back from the corn festival. And this is kettle corn. Mm. I had no idea. This She's like never had popcorn in her life barely until like two weeks ago. And she just like... Ate this thing like it was like I don't know like soy milk, which she drinks like four times every day. Like it's just it was gone immediately. Uh, kettle corn so high on the list because it's a classic. There's too much to love, whether it's sweet or spicy kettle corn. Uh, traditionally, it's a perfect balance of sweet and buttery with a hint of salt. Excellent for snacking and to be taken <coughs> home to enjoy in the coming days. The favorite of Scarlet Dolo. Number two, deep-fried Oreos. Mm, yeah. Yes. Uh, did you I have... mean, pretty much any anything at a fair that's deep-fried. I mean, you can deep-fry it. I mean, you can deep-fry anything anywhere. But Deep-fried Oreos were invented just to become the next big fair food. That was over yeah. the last 30 years. This delicacy has become a classic at fairs, carnivals, and amusement parks. Of course, Oreos are already phenomenal on their own, but when dipped in a batter and fried, they become a confection like no other, yeah. often served with sprinkled uh, with sprinkles or powdered sugar. Yeah, yeah, that's and a home run. Number one, this is definitely the most overpriced out of anything on this list, and that is funnel cake. Yep, you this, can't go wrong with funnel cake. This treat is phenomenal because it's not every day you can get a hold of it. Of course, you try making it home, but you will never make it like they do it uh, at it's the fair. Never the same. Yeah. Perfectly. Fried and crisp with a slightly sweet flavor, often doused with whipped cream, chocolate sauce, <coughs> strawberry preserves, or Power powdered sugar. sugar. Yep. It was eight bucks for one of these at the Corn Festival. I took one look at that and I was like, that's, "How big is it?" Uh, well, maybe like in like like fills out maybe, a paper plate. Yeah, like eight to ten inch. <coughs> it's actually slightly larger than that, so maybe it was worth it. I don't know. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, so so those were there's the that's the top ten. They had funnel cakes first, deep fried Oreos second, and uh, kettle corn third. So obviously, whoever made this list has a sweet tooth. What's your number one? My number one out. Is it of even it, on this list? Uh it's probably just corn on the cob. Honestly, 
Maybe that's the North Ridgeville way to me talking. I've never eaten corn on the cob at a fair. Hmm. I didn't before moving to North Ridgeville. I love corn so. on the cob. I eat every every single time it you know you barbecue or you grill out. <coughs> Excuse me, and you got corn on the cob. It's uh it's an automatic. But yeah, I've never had it at the uh, at a fair. I'll have to let you know if they've got it in Wellington, but I'm sure I'll see a whole bunch of these things. Uh, I mean, come Friday night. Is there anything really better than fair fries? Fair fries are usually French really fries good. at the fair. Yes. I'm trying to think of some other things. Uh, how about lemonade at the fair? There are usually freshly squeezed at lemonade. At least three or four lemonade vendors. Um, I'm trying to think of what else would be really great at the fair. I mean, obviously, uh, there's got to be an ice cream stand at the fair. There's usually several. Um, the deep fried pickles thing is a, is a real thing, though, because there were two vendors at, at the oh yeah, deep fried pickles, deep fried pickles. I mean, there are festivals just just dedicated to pickles now, and I'm a big pickle guy. So yeah, I mean, I'm all there. With, Sausage with the, on a stick seems to be a popular one now too. Yeah, that and like chicken on a stick, beef on a stick. Yeah, pretty much like kebabs, like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Anything that you can take and walk with as you eat it. Yeah, and then you know, brat, sausage, good hot dog, anything like that. Although, uh, if I'm at the fair, I'm not getting a hot dog. I'm getting a corn dog, and you can believe that. Mm. Believe that. That's right. So that is your outlook for the next few weeks for fairs in our area. <laughs> Again, it is fair season, and then uh, we're also getting closer towards Oktoberfest season. Cleveland is big. With Oktoberfest. Only a couple weeks until they the Oktoberfest at the... Uh, all around. At the Cuyahoga County Fairgrounds yeah. Labor Day weekend. Yep. That's always a really big event. Oh, yeah. Yep. Got to have fun with the glockenspiel. Der, der glockenspiel. That's right. Der. So, a lot of fun to be had over the next few weeks. And, you know, this this summer has been, like... Not all that warm, kind of rainy for a lot of it, but I'm telling you this. We have we have had a history when we've had rainy summers for like the back half of August and September to be warm and dry. And I think it's we've already seen a big swing in the weather the last three, four days. It's not been nearly as humid, and I'm projecting that this is what we're going to be dealing with for the next four or five weeks. If I'm wrong, beat me up for it, but that's what I'm calling for. I think we're going to have a lot of sun. It's going to be a fantastic next month so is it going to be a fantastic next month for the cleveland guardians well you didn't you didn't wham it wham <laughs> all right wasn't an official neighborhood so i didn't feel like it but eh. anyway uh I've, i'll partially answer my own question here the guardians well they had a good day today so they're one for one they uh they beat up on the Dodgers randomly tonight, eight to three, which I mean, who cares? Does it really matter? Five and a half out with like six weeks to go. I mean, that's that's not a great position to be in. They've really been mediocre to bad over the last two weeks. They, the Tigers just came in here over the weekend and beat them three out of four. And the week before that, they lost a series at home to the White Sox. This. If they really were going to contend, this can't happen. You can't be losing the teams in the Central behind you at this point in the season. It's just it makes it way too hard for you to to make up ground elsewhere. Must have, of course, they were to go out and like 
somehow sweep the Dodgers this week, which, I mean, that would be pretty wild. The Blue Jays come up after that, and then they go to Minneapolis after that. So really, and then the Rays come up after that. So, like, you wouldn't think that this would be the beginning of the charge, but stranger things have happened. That's not happening. Yeah. But at any rate, the Guardians are 60 and 66. They are five and a half games behind Minnesota, who come into the night 65 and 60. And the sad part about this is, is that Minnesota had a, a brief surge right after the All-Star break, and they've basically been playing 500 baseball since then. And the reason the yep. Twins have a bigger lead now is because the Guardians have been playing poorly. So We've been playing ti- poorly all year. The aforementioned Tigers are actually putting in a little bit of a surge. They're actually only two games behind the Guardians now for second place. Granted, that's still 7.5 behind Minnesota, so I don't exactly expect them to get involved. But, like, Chicago, my goodness, they're 49-76. and 76. You couldn't beat that team in a three-game series not that long ago? Like, it's not good enough. No, the season's over. I don't even know why we're talking about it. What I do want to talk about is... Yeah, we can stop talking about it. ...is a little bit of breaking news that came out late this afternoon regarding Terry Francona, Ooh. Um, who's talk, who talked about his future with the ball club. And uh, I'm going to read kind of what he said here. Uh Terry said, I've talked to Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff at length about the future and everything because I don't want to put them in any kind of uh, predicament. So we've had a lot of talks about moving forward. I mean, I think I felt my whole career like the players always have to come first. I mean, I remember being in Birmingham and South Bend and thinking the players come first and the organization in my situation would always just take care of itself. I think to deviate from this now is wrong. So I think there's a time and then and there will be a time to answer any question there might be about what I'm going to do or not do. I don't think that's because I, I don't ever want this. It can't be on me and I just can't let it. The other part is I don't want to lie or I don't want to fib. We've all seen coaches. I'm probably talking about college coaches, but you know, you know, they're going somewhere and somebody asks them a question point blank and they go, no. And then an hour later, they've got a six year deal somewhere else. I don't ever want to be like that. Just telling you that we're getting there and there's just a time I think to do it appropriately. I I pretty much think he said he's done after this year without saying it. That's what it sounds like. Um, You can't be surprised. He's been here for what? 11 seasons. I believe nine. I think this is maybe this is year 10. I think. Hmm. Um, but he, he's not, battled health issues. Um, if he's not winning as manager in Guardians Indians history, he's got to be really close to it. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, he's had the health issues. I don't think it's health related this time. I think that he is a little bit frustrated with his role in this organization right now because, and I think that this trading deadline was a tipping point. Um, you can't sit here and tell me that Tito Francona agreed with what the guardians front office did at the trade deadline this year. They were a half a game out of first place and they essentially, it's not that they traded the guys that they traded. It's what they got. In return, they essentially shedded a bunch of payroll and got nothing in return that really could help them the rest of the season try and push 
to win a division title. That's the important thing you said, that it was about this year. What re- right. what return did they get out of these trades regarding this year? And the answer was nothing. Right. So, um, yeah. It was basically they decided I think that sellers. was frustrating. And, and if you, there's going to be a ton of, you know, the analytical uh, big brain uh, people that say, well, oh, Terry Francona's lost his touch. This has been his worst year as manager. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like you just got done saying, he's probably I don't have the records in front of me. He's probably the win, the most winningest manager or uh right around there in club history. Uh he was a manager that came a couple innings away from winning a World Series. You know, they're competitive every year. This is gonna be their worst season in their uh in his nine, ten year tenure as manager. Maybe. And yeah, as it stands right now, I think it would be. They're six games under five hundred. Yeah, eighty and eighty two was was the worst year uh under Francona. But that's not necessarily his fault because the team essentially gave the, the or the organization gave up on the team at the trade deadline. And it's reflected in the team's play over the last three weeks. It's, they went from it's half not, a game out to five and a half games out. It's listen, Frank has Francona been perfect, especially this year? No. But I'm sorry, I'm not going to put the team struggling on Terry Francona when this man won the the AL Central Division with a team that if you would have put the Guardians in uh, the minors in AAA, they would be the youngest team in AAA. That's that's incredible. He won a division championship with that team just last year. Yeah. So you have a season where... The front office does nothing to help you as far as get you some power in the lineup. Your top three starters essentially don't pitch this year. And when they did pitch, they haven't been great. You have another guy who was in your uh, opening day rotation who's no who's uh, who's got like an 8 ERA in the minors right now. <coughs> so I'm not going to put... The Guardian struggles this year on Terry Francona. So if this is if this is it, if this is the end, you know, it sucks. Because I, he doesn't deserve to go out like this. And obviously it's his decision. The Guardians would never fire Terry Francona. No. If he wants to walk away, that's that's his deci- this is his decision. And uh, you know, I I the front office essentially is helping him do it with the way that they're acting. Uh, with this ball club, the just the and I get it. It's baseball. It's the market we're in. We're not a market that's going to splash cash, but this consistent just looking at everything with a three year down the line mentality and not trying to win when you play in the worst division in baseball. Again, you were half a game out, and you sold everything of value that you could sell at the trade deadline with three years down the line in mind. You did nothing to help this team. It's not the first time in Francona's tenure they've done it either. Right. So, and I don't know who's going to, if it if it is Terry's uh, final stretch here, God help who's going to come in here next year be the manager of this ball club. I mean, 
I guess the smart money is probably on Sandy Alomar just kind of moving over to uh, the main guy's chair. But, I mean, you know, the Guardians love to tell us all the time how, uh, you know, when people say, oh, you haven't won a, haven't won a championship – Oh well, we have the the set the, the for, for a while it was the best, or now it because the Astros being incredible every year, it's you know the second best record over a six seven year span in the American League. Well, you better keep doing that because the, the these fans are not going to accept just the constant punting of this organization. And yeah, attendance was up this year. But a lot of that had to do with the change in the rules and the fact that games are only taking like two and a half hours now instead of three and a half hours. Yep. People are coming down to the ballpark because it's it's actually a watchable product because the game actually moves and doesn't grind to an absolute halt all the time like, like baseball games tend to do in the past. Yeah, particularly in the late innings when you have pitching changes and it's, you know... And the matchup for a matchup becomes much more, you know, magnified in the late innings, particularly. I mean, this is more so in the postseason than the regular season, but, you know, it's like there's all these, like you said, with the pitch <coughs> clock and you not being able to change pitchers more than once in an inning and, and that sort of thing. It, it's done great things for the game as a whole, um, and it has increased fan interest once again. So, yeah, you can't put it all on what the Guardians has done. The, the thing is, Terry Francona is just a straight-up winner. This guy ended... It's Hall of Famer. Ended the curse in Boston. Won two championships there, and I swear to you, if they would have finished the job in 2016 and won the title here and ended the Guardians' almost 70-year streak without a title here, I mean, this guy would... You'd have to put him up there as, like, on the Mount Rushmore of baseball managers of all time. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. First Three, title in it 80 been, years in been, Boston, first title in 70 years in Cleveland. Like, both? Are you kidding me? Would have been like, three titles overall, winning winning titles in multiple different organizations and doing yeah. it in those circumstances like you just laid out. Yeah. <clears throat> so, for me, the front office is on notice. And I got to say – while it it sounded uncomfortable, I actually I applaud the fans for letting Paul uh, Paul Dolan know their displeasure this past weekend during the Manny Ramirez uh, uh, Guardians Hall of Fame uh, induction uh, pregame. Um, Paul Dolan was and the Dolan family was introduced to the crowd and they booed them. So good on the fans because it's unacceptable. It is absolutely unacceptable. You talk about you can talk all you want about continuity and how the the Guardians are a great run organization and all that. When they do things like they did this year, all that crap goes out the window. I don't care about how many games you've won in the regular season over the last seven eight years. I don't care. You were half a game out of your division. And you punted. You deserve to get booed. Say what you want about the Browns and their often incompetence. They, oh, don't, they don't try to. Oh, we're going to get into win. that. We're going to get into you that know, because 
because they may uh, not be great at it, but they're trying. And the Browns, the Browns, and uh, specifically the Haslam's. And again, we're going to get into this. They are the absolute antithesis of the Dolans, the literal antithesis. And so is Dan Gilbert in every way, shape, or form. I mean, same same kind of deal with the Cavaliers. Well, Dan Gilbert, I mean, Dan Gilbert, Dan, Dan Gilbert's won a title. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he had LeBron James, so you know, it's not like he did it, but he splashed the cash, and the team actually came through. So they hadn't come up against. One of the all-time dynasties at the same time of that LeBron 2.0 run, they would have had multiple titles. Yeah, actually, had Thanks not a been lot, for Kelly injuries. And a, yeah, right. It was not for that whole incident. They that could have had, a hole could have had a couple anyway. Yeah, who's the big? I mean, who's the bigger a hole, Kelly Olynyk or Kevin Durant? Like, those are the two horsemen that kept us to one title basically during that. Well, run. I, Kelly, I mean Kelly Olynyk. I mean that wasn't even a basketball play. Nope. I mean. Yeah, Kevin Durant coming to the Warriors. Yeah, because he's a, I, I, you know, he's a snake. But, <laughs> but you know, he he uh, kept us from winning another title because he's really good at basketball. He's not a thug like Kenny Olynyk. Right. <clears throat> so, um, but yeah, still anyway. nothing really to talk about with the with the Cavs. Um, they they well, still not the Cavs specifically, but the NBA made some really big noise just recently. Uh, with regard to this new tournament that they are putting together. Oh, it's a stupid. I... It begs the question. And you know what? I posed this question a few years ago, actually last year during one of our shows. What would be the the first league in North American sports to attempt a domestic cup competition similar to what they have in soccer? And that is effectively what the NBA has done. Well, I mean, technically it's the MLS, but. The MLS did it with the league. The MLS is soccer, so yes. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, basically, if you haven't heard, this competition called the NBA Cup. This is stupid. They're basically taking a four-game stretch of the regular season and doubling those games as a group stage for the the NBA Cup competition. So there's it's not up. even it's not even the st- they're, they're counting regular season games as part of this thing. Yes, in the group stage, yes. So it's like you play those games, they count as your record for the regular season and they count as, you know, points for group stage play as well. And then the top 4 teams in each conference after the group stage move on to the single elimination phase or the knockout phase. And I believe those are not regular season games. Those are just unique to the competition at that point. So once, once you get to that, I believe the way it is is quarterfinals are played randomly in one team's building, and then semifinal and final are played at a neutral site somewhere, December 7th, 8th, and 9th. So Dumb. At the end, one team hoists the NBA Cup, which how big of a deal is this going to be? No, it's going to be mocked. I don't, I don't know. It's going to be mocked. It's going to be nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to – nobody's – Personally, I don't think anybody's going to watch this. You don't Nobody, think, you don't think no. this could eventually become the NBA's version of the FA Cup or no. the Coppa Italia? No, or something this is like only going. This is only going. I'd be shocked if this lasts more than one year. Hmm. Nobody, nobody's going to care. You think Kevin Silver and the powers that be would come up with something like this and then abandon it right away? That's wow. Well, they did that when they tried to institute a new basketball, and the players oh, bitched that about was, it. 
That was a train wreck. <laughs> Some of the players couldn't even dribble that big. Use it. Just wait. And God forbid. I Obviously, I don't want any of this to happen. God forbid a superstar goes down with a season-ending injury in one of these things. Oh, the owners are not going to be they pleased. They will lose. Fan, I, Fans are not going to be pleased. I don't think the owners will really care because this this tournament is one thing. It's additional revenue for the league. It's all it is. It's all they care about. It's the fans that are going to lose their mind if one of their best players in one of these stupid-ass games goes down with an injury. I'd imagine it's going to be the same thing if one such player ends up going down the the uh, World Championships, which are coming up here soon, too. Yeah, but that, uh, but that, but that's not that's not during the NBA season. Yeah, it's in the off season. I mean, that, this that's, is to me that's this basketball's is version so, of the World Cup. This is so dumb, dumb. And also, like, like for soccer, like these leagues, they play like one game a week, and then they add this tournament in, and they they add, it's like a, it's like adding a midweek game. These NBA teams are playing three to four times a week. They're gonna add more games. They already played stupid. You know, I had surmised a year or two ago that the best league here that was best positioned <sighs> to have a competition like this was definitely MLB. Because there you have four levels of your pyramid A, double A, triple A, and MLB. And you could have teams from A playing MLB, teams from double A playing triple A, and all the way through a, a you know, fairly long-winded tournament, but baseball plays 162 games. They play for half a year anyway. So, you know, what what difference does it make if they take a, a week or a week and a half to play at some competition like this? It actually does surprise me that the NBA was the first to attempt something like this. Yeah, I don't know. But it's their leadership a... is much more progressive than baseball. Well, until recently, just was way more progressive than, than baseball. I mean, now with all the changes they made in baseball, I could actually see them going for something like this if the NBA's version of it ends up being successful. This is just a giant cash grab. I I don't know. It's going to be an incredibly hard sell for me to get him to get involved in this. I mean, mm. I I'm being completely honest with you. Mm. If the Cavs are in the finals of this thing, I don't need, I don't even think I'm gonna watch. Just not that gonna game care. Won't carry any more weight than any other regular season game to no. you? No. Mm. I just think it's dumb, it's stupid, and it's a cash grab. That's all it is, and maybe that's why I'm I'm so turned off by it. The only reason why they're doing this is to generate more money. That's all it is. It's just greed. Or maybe it's a scheme to get Jared Allen to actually play in a game that matters. Well, he's played in games that matters. He's just not shown up in games that matter. Bad vocabulary. Sorry. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, Any. plenty of time to uh, talk about Jared Allen and his playoff game exploits uh, as we get towards uh, fall. But, uh, yeah. So, you kind of brought this up when we were talking about the Dolans. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to get into this now because I think this is the perfect example of why I don't think, and this is kind of hard for me to um, to phrase because I'm not trying to give the Haslam's credit because they have been crap owners, crap with a capital C. But like you said, it's not for a lack of trying. It's just they're incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> this... <laughs> 
organization has spent the most cash on their football team than any other team in the National Fo- and the National Football League. More than the Cowboys, more than the Giants, more than the Jets, more than the Patriots, more than the Rams, more than any other big market, more than the Bears, more than... That's pretty incredible, uh, actually. Friggin' uh, who else? I said Boston. More than, more than Philadelphia. More than. Uh, I mean, uh, you're naming off teams that have won Super Bowls in the last few. The years. biggest markets in 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 the National Football League. The Browns spend the most on their team. They have the most expensive roster in the NFL over the last three years, and. What the team has done this week is going to make sure that that hat that 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 accolade of spending the most continues into next year, because the the Browns have restructured the contracts of Joel Batonio, Miles Garrett, and David Njoku today. The Cleveland Browns, by a wide margin spend the most money on their team, as of today, they have the most cap space of any team in the NFL. The restructuring of contracts, a lot of people don't really understand what that means. When, when it's reported that a player restructures his contract, he's not giving back money to the team to like help facilitate uh being able to sign new players. He's getting the same amount of money. What's happening is when a team restructures a contract, it essentially what they're doing is they're taking your part portions of your salary and converting it into a bonus. In the case of Miles Garrett, essentially he was slated to make a certain amount per week. I don't know how much of that, but how much of that they restructured, but essentially the Browns took a portion of that and essentially front-loaded his contract for this year and just wrote him a check. They basically just paid him up front to be able to make his base salary number, which counts against the cap, much lower. So it's a the win-win for all parties. I mean, the, the team gets sure. the cap space they want, and the player gets paid immediately because who yeah. wants to wait to get paid? Right. You know? Yeah. The only thing, the, the only reason why that you don't see this happen it happens sporadically throughout the NFL. You'll hear about a guy restructuring his contract to help team with the salary cap. You know, usually you you hear that like right before free agency starts. The Browns yeah, doing they it. They don't want to get cut. Well, that and you know they're they're trying to help the Brown or the the team do a solid. It's interesting how you're hearing multiple guys doing this with the Browns uh, near the end of training camp, right before the season starts. Do you think the Browns have a move up their up their sleeves for before? I can't decide before the season starts. And where would it be? Because I've I've been I've been I've been trying to go through like the different positions uh, on the team, and I'm trying to think where maybe the Browns are the weakest, and where they might be looking to make like a, a last second splash at the end of training camp. And the only thing that I can think of is wide receiver. 
And that's fascinating because I think the receivers we have are decent. I mean, they're not amazing, well, but they're, well, but they're that, serviceable. That's, that's the thing. Decent, now, serviceable. This team is all in to try and win this year. Yeah, I mean, thinking of it that way, I mean, I was thinking my first Again, thought, I don't. I don't know who. I'm not I'm not saying I know like who the Browns are targeting. I'm just saying I think that's the position group where I feel like in today's NFL you look at the Browns receivers. I think the Browns receiving core is solid. I don't think they have any elite receivers on their roster. You wouldn't consider Amari Cooper to be elite. Not elite, no. Okay. So I don't by even, elite, you're talking like you're Justin a Jefferson, bona fide, Chase, a bona fide uh, number one receiver. Now, I think those, Amari Cooper is is very good. I also think he's kind of like a like Amari Cooper f- to me would be like one of the best number two receivers in the NFL. To me, that would be a heck of a luxury for a team. To I have. don't think he's. Like I think he's I think he's around like like a T Higgins. Like you look at T like like say Who is number three in Cincinnati? No, he's number two. Oh. Who's number who's who's who you think is number two? Hang on. Chase Higgins. Why am I drawing a blank on the third guy? I mean it's Tyler Boyd, but I I'm not I don't think anybody's putting Tyler Boyd above T. Higgins. Hmm. T. Higgins T. Higgins has the ability to be a legit number one on, on most teams. But anyway, um, that's where I go. And again, it would have to be like we're two weeks before the season starts. It would have to be like an opportunity to that comes up. They, they're not just going to go out there and just sign somebody and have him be the number one receiver. It would have to be somebody like, you know, earlier in the season, Stefan Diggs uh, made waves that he was not happy in Buffalo. Now, obviously, that's calmed down, but I'm saying like that's the type of guy or like you look at uh, the situation in Oakland where they weren't able to get Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr left, and they have Jimmy Garoppolo now as their quarterback. You really think Devontae Adams is feeling great about the situation in Vegas no, right now? No, way. So that's the type of situation that I'm that I'm talking about, and that is the type of cap space that you've cleared up. The Browns now have $37 million in cap space. I mean, they could, they could essentially add whatever player they want. I think part of their thought process would have been that. You know, could they end up getting one of these like really talented, disgruntled guys, particularly if their team like starts one and three or you know, sitting Yeah, you know, it could put them in the one position and four or two and four at the at the trade deadline. I forget which week the trade deadline is. I think it's week seven. Yeah. But so, but yeah, that's a good point. I mean it could like, put them in a situation to where, you know, if one of these teams that was projected to be really good uh fumbles out of the block and starts like one and four the Browns could look to poach somebody off of one of those rosters. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of their thought, but I, I do think this is more about 2024 to where yeah. they don't want to have a situation I was gonna where go they there have next. to have multiple key guys leave as cap casualties. Yeah. I Because let's face it, a lot of these guys are high-priced, and some of them are up for contract. Or are, be, or are becoming high-priced. Yeah. Be, yeah, right. So, so I, think what the, I think what the Browns are doing, and, and I agree with you, I think this is more of a, uh, a future – um, approach. Um, they're trying to do two things at once. They're trying to load up this roster as 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 much as humanly possible to to try and make a run this year. But they're also trying to elongate their window because, like you said, they want to keep this core intact. They don't want to lose guys because of attrition and free agency and guys 
So what they're doing is they're looking to they're looking to create as much cap space as possible to be able to roll that over like we've done a few times now into next year and essentially raise the Browns uh, salary cap. Because in the NFL, you can take unused cap space from the year before and roll it over into the next year. So, like, say the Browns, uh, say the NFL's um, That's salary cap. I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, say the Browns' salary cap is $205 million, the NFL, for 2023. And the Browns have $37 million. Let's say, you know, throughout the year, injuries happen. you got to sign some players, whatever, not that expensive. Let's say they're able to take... 30 of that 37 million that they've opened up and rolled it into next year. So at the very least next year, the Browns cap number is $235 million. So that that's why a lot of times, a lot of times you hear people talk about how the salary cap quote unquote, isn't real or it's fake. This is why there's, there, there are loopholes or things that teams are able to do, you know, create, uh, or convert, um, base salary into signing bonus that doesn't count against the cap and you know all the sort of stuff like that backload contracts front load contracts all this all this stuff you know the cap the cap uh gymnastics that teams are able to do we saw for a long time the saints do it um during the drew Brees, sean payton era they did it all the time and that's one of the reasons why the the saints even though they only won one championship they're able to stay relevant essentially for like 15 straight years you know, the Patriots are a different animal because the Patriots, you know, Tom Brady willingly took less money every year to be able to keep some of their some of the other guys rather than, like, restructure. And then, you know, you have Bill Belichick who defensively is able to take, you know, fifth and sixth rounders and turn them into pro bowlers. You know, so that's a, that's a totally different animal. But I applaud the Haslam's. Look, the Haslam's have never been able to hire a good GM or a head coach the jury is still out on the, both of the current ones we have. But I would be remiss to not give them credit. They are willing to spend and spend and spend. And when I say, and when I, I'm, I'm repeating this for effect because this is three years in a row now where the football market of Cleveland, and again, small market, the Guardians like to, like to nail, like to hammer that into our skulls that Cleveland is not a big market. Well, the Browns don't care about any of that because for three years in a row now, and probably with these moves, it's going to be four next year. They are spending more than any other team in football. I think it's fun. It's cool that you mentioned both the coach and the general manager here. I think what these moves do is it gives the GM a little bit more of a leash to see the plan through, even if this year doesn't go 100% the way they hope it does. Hmm. But at the same time, it also puts even more pressure on the head coach than it already was. Oh, yeah. I I mean, it almost sets it up to where I could see a situation where Andrew Barry survives this year, but Kevin Stefanski doesn't. And I think before, it was like it was a package deal. If you if you got rid of one, you yeah. were, you were cleaning house. I mean, if the Browns completely nosedive, which I don't, aside from Deshaun Watson getting injured, I I or 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 Miles Garrett or you know Nick Chubb or whatever, I don't think that the Browns will nosedive. I think Andrew Barry can get away with the team going seven, ten, eight, and nine again and missing the playoffs, and he keeps his job. 
There's no chance Kevin Stefanski keeps his job if this team goes seven and ten again. No, not a chance in hell. Mm-mm. Kevin Stefanski needs to win the division, or at the very least, win a wild or get get in with a wild card to keep his job. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's it's playoffs or bust. Again, over these last three years, the Browns went eight and nine, seven and ten, and now this year. And the owner is footing the bill for the most expensive team in the NFL. Something's got to give. Yeah. Either they start winning or they will be finding a new head coach next year. Yeah, it's period. just you the reality of the situation. There's a reason why Kevin Stefanski, a contract extension for Kevin Stefanski, has not been announced yet. It's because this is make or break for him this year. It really would be a hell of an accomplishment for any head coach in the NFL to go sub 500 three straight years and not get fired. Yeah. That, that's that's and listen, impossible. Listen, Stefanski has not been dealt the greatest of hands as far as like quarterbacks go. You know? He did what he could with Baker Mayfield. And then the team... Now, I'm sure he's happy now to have Deshaun Watson. But signing a quarterback that is in the midst of one of the biggest PR nightmares and then being suspended for 11 games, essentially torpedoing any chance you had last season of doing anything of value. You know, I sympathize a little bit with Stefanski with that, but at the same time, you're an NFL head coach that's getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Uh, Kyle Shanahan... I know you love Brock Purdy, but Kyle Shanahan was on his third quarterback last year and went to the NFC Championship game. Right. And if Brock Purdy hadn't gotten hurt, I'm not saying that they would have beaten the Eagles. It would have been a much more competitive game. But it would have been a great game, and they would have had a chance. Yes, absolutely they would have. He was playing on the road in the NFC Championship game with a fourth quarterback who had never played for him that season. And yeah, they ended up getting throttled in that game, but... like. Any team would have having quarter having quarterback issues is not an excuse for a head coach. I point to that one with Kevin with uh, with uh, Kyle Shanahan. You know there are other examples. Look at what uh, Brian Dable did in his first year with Daniel Jones as his quarterback. Yeah, the Giants went. He made went the to the playoffs. Play- won a game too. They made the divisional round. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and funny thing about that is that. Nobody seems to believe in the Giants even now. Everybody's saying they're oh, going to be bad again. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no respect. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think they're going to come back to earth this year. But still, and and even even Stefanski did it himself his first year with Baker Mayfield. He turned Baker Mayfield five He turned Baker Mayfield game. into a top ten quarterback that year. Yeah. So he himself can do it. This I mean, his- you got to do it this year, Kev. His record with quarterbacks is actually not bad when you consider that because Baker was extremely good in 2020. Yep. And in 2022, you said, yes, the, the team put them in a bad situation having to play with Jacoby Brissett, but they were not losing because of Joe, Jacoby Brissett. No, the they were losing. Yeah. Was the defense was the main problem for the first two-thirds of Yeah, the they were season. losing because Joe, Joe Woods was coaching apparently a different sport. Yeah, I mean, there were plenty of games where the Browns were putting up 24, 27, 28 points, and they were still losing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that is going to be the biggest reason why 
I I think the Browns are going to listen. We in the next week or two, we're going to do our official schedule game and our official record prediction. Yeah, we're not going to do that tonight, but uh, September fifth, ladies and gentlemen, September fifth, and all out live on pay per view. <laughs> Sorry, a little CM Punk there. Um. But, yeah, uh, we will go through and give our actual record prediction. Spoiler alert, uh, I have the Browns winning the AFC North. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. I, I did not. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the uh, story of our lives with, uh, with our outlooks on the Cleveland football team over, over our lives? Pretty much. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that the Browns – and 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 I I think Deshaun Watson is going to play very well for the team, but I think the reason why that this team I think is going to win the division is I think the defense is going to be so incredibly, vastly, insanely improved over last year. Fingers crossed, man. It's not only because of the coaching change on the defensive side of the ball. The amount that they have invested in that defensive line. If that D line stays healthy, it has a chance to be one of the best in the in in the game. Last year, they, quite possibly they were the worst. They were pretty bad, and they had Miles Garrett on that line, yeah. who had 16 sacks last year. Right. But with the talent that they've added, I, I think they have a chance to be one of the best. So, obviously, health is going to be a big deal uh, with everything the Browns are trying to do. But assuming health. I just – and, again, it's the Browns. So when, whenever anything can go wrong, it usually does. I just don't see how this team is not at least over – The schedule is not as difficult again, as it was a year ago. Again, everything is predicated on the first – on the month of September. But again, but, again, yeah, September and early October, right out the gates, is pretty tough. Is you gotta play you gotta play Cincinnati, you Everything gotta play Pittsburgh, you gotta play Baltimore, and oh by the way, you also gotta play Tennessee and San Francisco in the first five games. So again, you don't play an easy team until week six against Indianapolis. So could the Browns be one of those teams that stumbles out one and four? Absolutely they could be. I mean I hope that's not the case, but I mean you could easily see where that could happen. Mm-hmm. You know. You think you think Kevin Stefanski's feeling any pressure now? Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and there's an early buy too. Is there any chance that they could fire him at the buy? Well, they start zero and four. They start zero and four. Could he be gone? <laughs> I shouldn't even speculate on something like that. That's so dark. <laughs> um. Well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's time to end the episode. We started a little bit later than we usually do yeah. uh, tonight. Time it's almost eleven o'clock, fifty p.m. Yeah. right now. Uh, so uh, before, but before we get uh, before we get on out of here, I just got one thing that that I want to play here. Um, it's not the NBA Cup. Nope. Pulisic, another. Here is Pulisic. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant on his debut. The American star shining so brightly for Milan. Christian Pulisic involved in the first goal. He scores the second. 
and it was all his own work. That's a world-class goal, Pat. Incredible. One-two in Giroud. He's one of the best on playing this kind of football, looking for his mates. And then, look. One touch, two touch, and then bang. What a goal. What a start of the new season for AC Milan in Serie A. Incredible goal by Pulisic. Look the technique. No chance for Skorupski. It's 2 nil AC Milan. I tell you what. You couldn't get a better possible debut for Christian Pulisic away from Chelsea, now at AC Milan. Had the hockey assist on the opening goal, which Olivier Giroud ended up scoring, um, and then has a rocket of a right foot from just outside the box to make it 2-0 in the first half. Uh, Milan goes on to win 2-0, and uh, you know Pulisic, it's going to come down to health, man. He is ta- he is certainly talented enough. Um, it's just going to come down to health with him. So he's going to get much more of an opportunity at Milan to do more things like that. I mean, if he keeps doing stuff like that, I, <laughs> I mean, not AC Milan is going to add a second star just above their crest on their jersey. So, um, because we know what 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 kind of stuff Rafa Leao and Olivier Giroud and. Um, Teo Hernandez and all the other guys that have been with Milan over the last couple of years and are carryovers from the last Scudetto win uh, two years ago. But if Pulisic can add that that uh, dynamic play on the right side, on the right wing, or even at the or even at the ten, the attacking midfielder position when they change up formation, um, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot going on that soundbite. It's you know brings you back to. Dortmund slash early Chelsea slash USMNT Pulisic. I yeah. mean, when he's just out there being active, linking up play in the, in the yeah. attacking third, scoring. Scoring for know, Chelsea against Real Madrid in the Champions League semifinal right. two, two years ago. Yep. I mean, it's not even that long ago that he, he just, was at the top of his form at club level. Yeah. I mean, just he just every- battled he battled injury and then just couldn't break into the side. I mean, Chelsea – Chelsea's a club that just constant over the last couple of years, constant changeover with managers, constant changeover with style, players out, players in, record uh, transfer fees. Uh, you know they they sold like ten players this transfer window, and then splashed a bunch more cash. That's just you know? the Chelsea way. They just they're like the drunken gambler, pretty much. Yeah, and you know. In terms of world football, and sometimes they hit the jackpot. They've won two Champions League since 2012. And then True. There's, they've had other seasons where they finished 10th and 12th in the Premier League. Yeah. So you just never know what you're going to get out of them. But last year, everything they touched turned to dust. It's funny, too. In 2012, when they finished, I think they finished, was that the year they finished 10th or 12th? They finished 6th, but won the Champions League. That's it. Yeah, I finished 6th and won the Champions League. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I you know, uh, obviously, if... <laughs> If you're not a soccer fan, you've probably already uh, ended this episode. But uh, I most of Captain America is planting his flag in the fashion capital of the world, Milan, Italy. He certainly is doing that. So what a what a debut for Pulisic, um, and uh, and yeah, so really good stuff. Uh, just for the Serie A, pretty much. Pretty much all of the big guns started off well, uh, except if except if you live in the city of Rome, <laughs> mm. 
because uh, uh, Roma was uh, held. They drew. I can't remember. Held by played. Salernitana. Salernitana. Yeah. Uh, the ageless one, Andre. Uh, Andrea Condre. Uh, what's it? Condreva. Antonio Condreva. Sorry, my God. I need to go to bed. <laughs> Antonio Condreva with two goals for Salernitana, and then Lazio was winning. In the, in the 88th minute, gave up two goals in the dying minutes of the game and lost to Lecce. They lost to Milk. <laughs> that's uh, my that's my favorite team in Syria. Ah, Lecce. Just the name of it, Lecce. That, yeah. that is that is too funny. It's even pronounced that way too, yeah. Lecce. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's your Syria roundup uh, for the week, and uh, yeah, I think that's probably where we're gonna end it. That is gonna do it, folks. So this has been episode 269 of Living Off the Land. Go ahead. Excellent. There you go. Uh, follow us on social media. At Stiffs McGee. At Daniel J. Ford. You can follow the show at the LOTL podcast. Uh, also, if you have any interest in AC Milan, uh, join Milan Club Cleveland on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, we will be doing watch parties throughout the season, trying to get one finalized for this weekend, Saturday at 2.45 for the AC Milan game. Um, don't have the location secured just of yet. Hoping to go back to uh, Schnitzel Brewery in Parma, but uh, I've yet to confirm that with uh, with them over there. So, But uh, I will post as soon as that happens. So, Anyway, uh, that's going to do it. Appreciate you guys listening. Thank you guys for your support as always. Uh, it's been episode 269. I'm Dan, he's Steven, and we'll catch you guys next week. See ya.